We have got Stephen Sayers with us today. We've had loads of people come on the podcast and say, yeah, this guy is hardcore. Um, we're going to get his story off him. He's got a movie in production. We've got one book out. We've got another book in development. All the links to Stephen's stuff are in the description box below this video. So please click down and, and <coughs> check out his stuff. And he's down here with Steve Rafe. And Steve's got a YouTube channel, so I'll put the link down to his YouTube channel. And there's loads of gangster stories and crazy stuff down there. If you're into this kind of stuff, please click down and support what both of these guys are doing. So thanks for coming on, Stephen. Yeah, thank you very much. What is this book about then? Well, it's about my life, really, basically, you know. It's not glamorising crime. It's showing you the life of how I end up in the crime, the effect it had on my life, it had on my children, and which way I live my life, you know. It's an interesting one. It's got a few highs, it's got a few lows, it's got a few... Put a smile on your face at the end of it, you know, hopefully, you know. So your family's quite prominent in the underworld, but let's go back to, like, where are you from and all that stuff. I'm from the West End of Newcastle, a place called Elzig. My family, or a big family, my great-grand had ten children, nine daughters, one one boy, you know. All of them had four and five kids each. Year. Like, see, my dad had 40 full cousins on his mother's side. Wow. So they were all, like, say, uh, they're all Barrow boys, and, and you know, that's where we stem from. My great grand was, she, like, she had all the Barrows. The Barrows were illegal at the time. And as a young kid, like, say, six years of age, me and my cousins would stand, it was a day's work in a sense, you know, I would stand the lamppost and look for police to stop my family from being arrested for street trading, you know? And I suppose, in a, in a sense, it made were a bit anti police, you know. So you're selling stuff out of wheelbarrows, what kind of merch? They were, they were like carts, you know, like the barrows for, not like wheelbarrows as you see in the building set, you know. It was fruit, it was fruit, fruit and veg. Oh, like fruit and veg stands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's how you learned to get your hustle on as a youngster? Yes, it did, huh? And were you getting in any kind of trouble when you was a young person? Yes, especially if I didn't see the police come. Did <laughs> <laughs> you actually think it was a wheelbarrow, by the way? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to explain it for the Americans because they're not, they're going to be, they're going to hear barrow and think wheelbarrow. Yeah, yeah. I thought, fucking hell, I can't believe you asked that. It'd be a barrow, be a barrow three foot wide, six foot long, you know. Yeah. I might ask you a few things that I already know the answer to, but in a way that the Americans can understand yeah, yeah, yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. I think you want to get the accents to the English. You understand it first. <laughs> <laughs> They have a hard time understanding him. Yeah. <laughs> so what about early arrest then? Um, first arrest, I was 14 years of age. I came up with a nightclub called the Dodson Vita. 14 years of age. I got myself involved. I was witnessing a big fight outside, you know. I got in a car with the lads. I thought it was good, you know, bigger lads, you know. And, um, they bumped into the lads again in the street. A fight erupted. Tools were used. One lad lost his eye. High-speed chase from Newcastle City Centre. I got arrested. Uh, I got remanded. I went to court when I was 15 years of age. Got detention centre. The other lad got Borstal. One of them got two, yeah. I came out of there. And I applied for a licence for the barriers. But unfortunately, the licences were being a conviction. I'd get a conviction. I wasn't allowed it, you know. So... In a sense, I suppose the days of Stephen Stephen started, you know. <laughs> you wanted to get on the straight and narrow. Yes, I did, yes, but unfortunately that happened, you know. So, yeah. And the other occupation I knew was Stephen, so that's the path I took. And were you, did you have a knack for fighting from a young age? I used to like to roll about, eh? I wasn't shy to have a roll about anybody. I wasn't trained or anything like that, just full of bad intentions, I suppose. Do you think that was just a natural thing, then, a natural ability? 
I don't know, but I suppose I suppose it was just environment where I was brought up in, you know, and like survival, I suppose it's really different from different parts of Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. rough and tumble. Yes, yes, yeah, the rough and tumble, like you get bullied. So if you can't go on the straight and narrow then, what are you going to turn your life to? After that? Well, I turned my life to crime, you know. I was I become a criminal. Uh, I got a conviction when I was 18 for burgling a cash and carry. I got another one for trying to spring on the premises for cigarettes, you know, like high value stuff at the time. I was a young laddie, you know. Yeah. Um, <coughs> basically, that sort of stuff, you know. And how were you doing with your family at that point in your life? Well, I was a young single laddie, so was it life was a big adventure for me at the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and because you've been getting in trouble with the police, is that like, how are your parents, like, are they trying to steer you? Well, my dad had a, ver- a variety of different jobs, you know, like, say, occupations, I should say. He was a barber boy. He had his own company, he had a haulage company. He also had a scrapyard, which I worked the scrapyard for him. When he worked the breweries, it was custom then, dear stick, like, so when he delivered the beer, you would you would receive a bottle of courtesy of the people, the bar, the bomb, and the manager of the bar would give you a bottle of beer, bite of beer. Yeah, basically, that sort of thing, you know. So at the end of the day, he was, he was absolutely mortal drunk. <laughs> <laughs> he worked hard, though, right? Oh, yeah. Drunk hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because we got off the rails young on the drugs, like the ecstasy and the speed and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Did that come into it with you? Well, I think everybody did in the 80s, you know? Yeah. It hit, it hit, it hit Newcastle, you know, just like, it was like a plague, just have its bum, it just it took over the place, you know? Yeah. Uh, I come across it me in, in Tenerife in the, in the 80s, mm. and uh, I used to contact the lads in Newcastle. I even found a few of the lads up in Liverpool last night, they heard ecstasy. And they're saying, hi, oh, you're dancing with lad. I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was the first time coming across it, you know. So what was the rave scene like up there? Where you bouncing. from? I was bouncing when I heard it, you know, just took over the place. Yeah. <coughs> um, people who you've never seen before in your life dance, tough guys were dancing and all that, you know. So give, <laughs> give them one phone on the dance floor. It was good times, good times, you know. Yeah. I suppose it was the same all over the country when I take you know. Well, that's drugs. It's not the best in the world for you, but they were good at the time. It's <laughs> it funny here. because there was like, just before it started, there was a lot of football violence in Manchester and Liverpool and that. But you'd see them about a year later in the rave and the dancing together and hugging one another, and you think, "Fuck it, else are you?" You never had, expect yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. If you had, if you had one of me down your neck in the eighties and you bumped your nose and you kiss and cuddle, kiss and cuddle, you would. Yeah, there was no badness in you. Oh, I don't know, nice and everything here. Is he the most enemy about a good look? Yeah. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you back. You too, bro. <laughs> I had a mate out of Manchester. Heath, do you remember him? He was a soccer hooligan. Yeah. He had all these fucking chains and he was all stabbed up and shit. He's like, I'm not coming to Liverpool, you know, the fucking, all, all my hooliganism. So we brought him, was it like the state or one of those places? We took him to the state, 808. And all the hooligans are just hugging each other. Never yeah. seen anything like it. Well, that only? Yeah, on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. <laughs> we were fucking hammering in Arizona. We were knocking we? shit out one another the week after and on Saturday, like, you know what I mean? It was strange when the streets. Yeah. <laughs> so. When he was young, he looked up to people like the tax man and Duffy, and he was telling me all these stories. Good pals of mine, they told him. So you grew up with them, did you then? Yes, I did, yeah. yeah. <coughs> Lee, Duffy, Lee Duffy was my friend, and he was the one who introduced us to Brian Cockrell. He phoned us up. Lee Duffy was a fighting man. Yeah. And he phoned us up and he said, Stephen, I've just had the hardest fight in my life for the strongest man I've ever come across. And for Lee Duffy to say that, this kid has got to be something special. See, that's how, that's how I found out about Brian Cockrell and introduced us to Brian. 
We'll make each other and we're going to make a house on fire, you know, and we've been pals ever since. He's my big brother. And you said Brian was showing off uh, his skills one day. Abnormally strong. No, you've got to bear in mind. I said to him, I said, listen, I know you have a strong lad, but how strong are you? He said, excuse me, Steve, do you mind what one side? So, what's he doing? He got behind the car and he lifted the back end of the car and he pushed it over. No, no, I'm not about like nice and there to there. I'm going to put from there to there. Yeah. And five or six vehicles. <laughs> and this man was benching, you know, he's, he's squatting, he's squatting 300 kilo, you know. So you can imagine how strong he's benching, 250 kilo. Abnormally strong. Uh, boxer. Full to the brim of bad intentions, a very dangerous combination. Yeah. On his day, I'd have put Brian Cobble down, probably the best man on the cobbles in the country. Really? That's, that's, you know, how could he do it? I've seen him knock men out 20 stone with slaps. Slaps. Freaking yeah. jaws with slaps. Yeah. Too strong, one. That's what you were saying, wasn't it? He was one of the hardest guys in the whole country at that yeah. time. Yeah. He, he, he could pick a 20 stone man above his head, but no, not a problem, just pick him straight up, you know? That's just, that's not, it's, he was going to go in for the strongest man, the uh, strong, strongest man, Britain competition, you know? Yeah. But uh, he went down the wrong path. But he's my pal, Brian, and I've got a lot of time for him, and I love respect for him. Yeah, he's a great guy. He was in here. We watched his uh, documentary as well, McIntyre's Underworld. Yeah. Have you seen that one? Taxman was a while ago, that one, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. You can can see him on there. You can see what he is, you know? Yeah, he's bouncing around in that, isn't he? In prison down there, no one had a bad word to say about him. Especially to his face. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Sorry about that. Some people say, like, did you Duffy be a bully, or not Duffy, that Viv Graham's a bully and all this and all that. But when it got to Brian Cocker, no one would say a bad word about him whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Good lad, good lad. I brought, um, I brought Lee Duffy through. Viv Graham had the reputation of being a fighting man of Tyneside. Yeah. And Duffy had one of the same, basically, for, for Tyneside, you know. So I brought Duffy through for, to fight him. Uh, it was going to be full of money, but it didn't take place, you know. We were West End. West End was like, say... Heightened sort of people, you know, like that sort of area. And the, the doormen were all big lads from Gateshead. Yeah. And the West End used to always clash with them. The big lads were setting about the, the, the West End was shooting them or stabbing them back, you know. And this went on for a while. And I suppose when when Duffy came about, Duffy represented the West End as a fighter. And he wanted to be on with Fifth Graham. I took, yeah. him, I took him to a club once. And he knocked about 10 of these doormen out, you know. <laughs> these people are big These aren't little lads, you know. These, some of them are 20 stone men, you know. I never get one. He was at the back and he went, come on, Duffy, I'll fight you. Duffy just marched forward, knocked him in the toe. Those were baby dinosaurs on the floor, man. You're talking tonnage on the floor. Was that many that were talking tonnage on the floor? He didn't even like a fight, so bit of a handsome guy, really, you know what I mean? I didn't know about that. How long were you in jail? <laughs> <laughs> Too long. What's this? Was this when you were doing your things? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> so how did he get so handy? Because he was an youngster, wasn't he, Duffy? Chain boxer, six foot three. He looked like Dolph Lundgren with the Rocky. The yeah. Rocky finish, you know? He was, when he was youth, he was very bullied when he was a young kid, you know? Mm. I think that had an effect on him when he was older. He had no fear. Yeah. No fear whatsoever, you know? Yeah, uh, school was telling he was knocked out in jail when he got there. The old schools were new, bought him, turned up there, come at the cell, walked along the passageway. You know, had no cigarettes. School was smoking, he took the tab off him, took the tab box out, and had look, was only three or four tabs in. Time to go out and buy him a pack of tabs. You know, it's not normal, you know, the school is not supposed to get nipped and messages, it's going to be a bit shocking. <laughs> yeah. And he, the school told me, that, the school told me that story. Yeah, they were scared of him. Terrified him. Yeah. So when worse people come across him, you know. So what was the story behind his demise? He had a lot of vixen in uh, Middlesbrough, you know. Um, he had an incident, fight starting. He got stabbed a couple of times and got stabbed in the back. It wasn't exactly Victoria Cross material, was it, you know? Right. Uh-huh. 
So he was a violent man who lived a violent, lived a violent life, and he died a violent death. Yeah, yeah. He was a, he was a nice person. He was my friend, you know. And like, uh, bit of a coward's way in the back, though, wasn't it? That's actually it's not exactly Victoria Cosmo too, no. is it? Didn't the taxman have a word with that guy? Both of them, that's how they got pals. Both of them had a fight with each other, you know. That's how they yeah. met each other. Yeah. Um, they got gone like, and then two gone like a house on fire, you know. But a few months and they then they died, you know. Yeah. Um, good, good. They took them. They took them. What a force! What mm. a force! Wow. You weren't like them showing up at your house. Well, they're going for the wall, not the door, them two, man. <laughs> <laughs> they're not coming through the door, they're coming through the wall. There you are. That's what I see about them. <laughs> All right, so you, you you tried to stay on the straight and narrow, that, that didn't work out with the barrow, so you're getting into crime and Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in your 20s now. Rave scenes here. The rave scene, what happened was, uh, on the 12th of August, 1987, my 22nd birthday, was a robbery committed through Sunderland. And it was Britain's biggest post office raid. The great train robbery was robbed uh, on, the, on the train, obviously. Coincidentally, he was robbed at Sears Crossing. <laughs> uh, my brother got me... The police went to my mum's to arrest me and my brother. I wasn't there. My brother got arrested, charged, put on remand for 12 months. A, a police officer came forward, she, uh, WPC, and she says, that isn't a man, but he resembles him. And she was the one who was going to pick me up and fit us up, you know. So mm. I spent a year on the run in the 80s to go and move abroad. Was, it was, you heard it on the TV, you know, but you know, to actually take the trip abroad was a big thing at the time, yeah. you know. Ended up in Spain. Does you have people in Spain that welcomed you and took care of you? I always get on with scousers all over, you know. <laughs> and wherever you can, you can't come up with scousers. <laughs> and the chances are one of them will be on the tours. <laughs> you can't yeah. have, not bump in through, can you? Yeah, can't everywhere. Right. <laughs> um, well, well, I got you know, and I could introduce myself to different people around, around the country, you know, and they like, said, so I was a like, helping hand if I needed it, you know. Yeah. Which, which I did, you know. I went down to London. Um, London, some London lads. Freddie Foreman. Yeah, different people like that assisted, you know. Yeah, we've had... Um... Dave Courtney on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He spoke highly of you guys as well. Yeah, I saw some yeah. stuff he did on, on, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. So what's it like being on the run in Spain? I was on the run in Spain for a while, then mm. I ended up in Tenerife. From there we end up in... Uh, well, first of all, we started off in Blackpool. There was not many winter resorts you can go to in England. Blackpool's one, and Aviemore's the other. Now, I said to my cousin who was with us at the time, I said, no, look, if we get chased around Blackpool, we can't get away. If we get chased around Aviemore, you're stuck in the snow. Never go to Blackpool. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to Blackpool, we stayed until the last day, the, till the lights went off, you know. Then we, we decided to go to Tenerife. That's, we went to Spain first, Tenerife, came back, uh, got sick of it, all of this. You can only stay in the sun and drink so much. Came back, I stayed on the, a boat on the island, put up Scotland for a while. Uh, came back and spent the last two and a half months, three months in a, in a little flat in, in Newcastle, you know. Yeah. And I sat there one day. And I was just sitting with the radio on, I think nothing, you know. And a news flash came on Radio 1 and says that two men have been acquitted for, for the robbery of Britain's biggest post office robbery. Quitted. Uh, yes, and so once I got not guilty, I knew then I was okay, you know. Right. But until then, I was, it was worrying, you know. Well, and the police like, all right, we're going to get set him up for something if he's got off this. Mm. Is that what they did next? Well, they, what they're doing is, you know, they've, ne- they've never left where alone. They've, they've always been on my case, you know. They've always come and arrested me for something called one drummed-up charges. Yeah. Yeah, that's always happened. Excessive sentences, you know, the guidelines. The, the guidelines for the crimes always get flung out the window. And they say, I've got a sentence of uh, two years, the guidelines. What can you work? 
I'll sentence. I've got a ten-year sentence. Again, again, into well, like three to four year, two to four year, you know. Right. Uh-huh. So your first prison sentence was two years. You proper one after Boston. Uh, yes, it was. I, I got two. Yeah, I took what I done was I got told that um, a doorman had Sears that the Sears family and the associates weren't allowed in the nightclub. You know, in the eighties, I would have been like putting petrol on a fire. So we just had to go around and beat the shit out of them. So I took Viv Graham around with us and um, he attacked them, bashed them up. Actually, the video's on YouTube. Is it? Viv Graham teamed up with members of a gang from Newcastle's West End. The gang wanted control over Hobo's nightclub in Bath Lane in Newcastle. The club's now closed, but in 1989, it was thriving using doormen and video cameras as security measures. This recording shows six men arriving at the club door. It's the first time it's been seen on TV. Viv Graham is last in, wearing a white shirt. It's a quarter to two on the morning of Saturday, September the 30th. The gang strides straight past the reception desk. Another camera shows the receptionist running upstairs to warn the manager. The head doorman, 28-year-old Stuart Watson, weighing 17 stone, approaches reception, hands in pocket. Viv Graham attacks him, cheered on by his companions. One shouts orders to the receptionist. Viv Graham now has a pressure point on Stuart Watson's neck, preventing him from defending himself. As the beating goes on, another doorman shows signs of intervening. A punch from one of the gang stops that. Stuart Watson is then dragged out of the camera vision onto the dance floor. The receptionist, in shock, desperately tries to wipe up the blood, then calls the police. The gang departs, led by Viv Graham. They'd been in the club for just three minutes and 41 seconds. As they swagger out, one pauses to tell the manager that it was a private fight. Viv got 18 months for chinning the man, I got two and a half years for watching it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So what fucked up, that, isn't it? Guns with a toad, love you, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Um, what prison did you go to? For the two years I went to Doom, and I went and I went to, I went to Acklinton, you know, mm-hmm. for the for the two for the two years since um got, got a bit of parole, you know, and it's you know, see so, uh, so a couple of weeks on it, I suppose. What was your reception like in Acklinton? Well, you've been, you know, probably home from home, really. Uh, it's, a local jail. it's a local jail, you know. But the one you liked? Yes, yes. yeah. It was like them days, um, then Hans regimes hadn't been installed in them, so therefore it was all, everybody's open all day, smoking weed and drinking beer. <laughs> and that's what he'll tell you. Free weights, fucking like. You can't go to the gym anytime you wanted. You can't get drunk anytime you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> The Scottish should come in from having the weekend visits. They'd have semi-gesics or they'd have bottles of whiskey. Yeah. So if Brilliant. you want a night on the drink, you could go and buy yourself a bit of Charlie and a bit of and a bit of vodka yeah. for the night. Everything, for, everything for, for, apart from a young lady. <laughs> 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 Unless you're not being claimed in the jail, like but I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so were the guards all corrupted? <clears throat> I would imagine one or two were, you know. Yeah, that's how they got the stuff in. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Yeah. I used to come over the fence, there was a new open jail, there was a category C jail, you know. Just over the fence. Just slung over the fence, you know. What about um, visits? Did people visit you? Of course, right? I've got a big family, you know. Yeah. There's never short of visits, you know, a couple of weeks. How does, how does that feel to have your visits? 
Well, visits obviously, you know, you've been down that road. It's one visit what sticks in my mind, which was a sad one. My me, me son came on a visit with his school friend and he pointed us and he went, Look, I've got a dad, there's my dad. And, uh, and them's the B sides, you know, it's always glamorous sitting in there and, you know, I got loads of money, fast cars, loads of birds, yeah. everything you want. You're sitting in prison and your son comes up to you on the visiting room, you know, and says, Look at these friends, says, I've got a dad, there's my dad. It does mm. affect you, none of it hurts. I used yeah. to hate it visits, me. It I used to go Go back to be cell depressed after the visit. You know what I mean? I never I'm enjoyed visits. I'm going back off drunk. Are <laughs> 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 you going to take a bit of drink? You can have you a know. drink. I hate the visits because my, my brothers would bring me 100 quid up and it was just it was just so easy. You just passed it under the table. Don't of course. You hooped it. That's it. It's an anti-climax, isn't it? Someone comes all the way to see you and you go back to your cell. And you fucking all, you know. Well, you had people coming from England to visit you in America, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, my family flew about 5,000 miles, yeah, yeah. Mine don't love me that much. Do you know what happens to come to Acklington? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what did you do of yourself when you got out of Acklington? Yeah, I came out of Acklington. I put on a number of different things. I opened a cigarette business. Made me brother, you know, and... Uh, I thought they would have a little go the legal side of things, you know. So we're getting these cigarette machines. We're back. They were a thousand pound a piece to buy. We bought some. I thought we were supplying demand was too much. I thought by the time we leave, we could have had about a hundred bars to put them in. I thought we were it's going to cost too much. So out ones were coming to a handy, you know, stolen. Where you get enough from? I'll come. I'll get it and go on and get it, get it. I didn't. I lost count at one stage. I didn't realise what so many machines. I got fifty odd machines in the bubs. Yeah, half a stool and I suppose, you know. Did you put juicy free fags in it? Put everything in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, back in the day, you get in, did you still have a, did have a 10p or like a coin? Yeah, could I, you didn't know. People used to put the duty free tabs, and we did as well, obviously, you know. They said they put them for the club ones, and that people didn't know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And have a little fiddly, you know. But unfortunately, I've got, I've, got, I've got the jail for that. What, what was the charge for that? Handling, handling. Handling. They give us 15 months on the Wednesday. You know them days when they've done 15, anything over 12 months, you've done two thirds. Yeah. yeah. So on the Wednesday, I got 15 months. They took us back to court on the, on the, no, on the Wednesday, they took us back to court on the Friday and reduced it down to 12 months. Yeah. Now, I said to me part of the time, I says, listen, I says, we have went away. We've got so many months to serve. He said, I right, sir, I'm sitting in the cell after we've had the sentence reduced. And the school come in and he says to me, Paul, he says, who we co-accused, he says, right, he says, you're out next week. My calculations got us down there for a month. So I'm sitting there and I wonder, oh, really? what's going on here? No mention of me. So I thought, I'll just sit there. So this goes back and forth. He says, right, he's taking a reception. I thought, I want me a court day. I've got, I got a rest of me. I've got bail the same day. I've got a charge this year. No, I'll carry on. It was the night before. And the school came in the cell and he was filling the papers. He went, Stephen, you didn't look too happy for a man who was getting out in the morning. I can't love me, mate. Let's just see the miss and the miscalculation. You were a few weeks out. So it was one, one, one for us, I suppose. You know, yeah. I got back. You know, yeah. So, so what? Um, what was that second prison? You were the same one. I um no, no. When I stayed in Durham for that one. I Durham, Durham, yes. What was Durham like? It was alright because we used to cook in the cells. You know. Yeah. What was your recipes? Well, what would happen is, my dad, we used to go to court at the time, and they would, he had to get permission to be remanded over seven days. But we refused that, because when we're going to court, we're getting a bit of, well, that's what we went to up. 
We'll get myself a bit of notice work. He's dropped off the court. And my dad would go down to there, Moxie's, and he'd get £50 worth of Moxie Spencer's pre-packed meats in each bag for me and my brother. And he'd come up with £100 worth of Chinese. <laughs> so when the, the, the schools and the busy would lower, have it in the cell, they were terrified of all. You know, that were happening in the cell. And we'll take my pre-packed meats and that. And they say, yeah, we have a take. And you even had a private visit with your missus. So okay. Why would we want to be reminded of what seven years for? Being good. But were I, but were I. And uh, well, they say, I suppose you say a bit like saying the good fellas, but we're, we're cooking in the cells, you know? Yeah. I was down in the cell and, I, and he has, uh, I've been smoking, I think that's your day in them days. So he has Stephen. Look at the door, what? <laughs> he said, give us what? I thought, that sounds like a bird. I said, that sounds like our lass. Looks at the window. I asked Stephen, look, and I could see how she was being the one she showed it. You've got Judge and Chambers out. Hold it. But strange. I said, how did you know it was myself? She said, Stephen, it was the only one with loads of Marks and Spencer's food outside the window. <laughs> 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 Keep it cool, you know. I said, well, I'll answer that, you know. <laughs> Is that something you would expect? Your missus is showing her to your window. You're getting Judge and Chambers. <laughs> You would have loved that, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Peter was, like, his hustle was uh, working the kitchen and getting all the ingredients to cook uh, burritos and tamales. And I'd cook all the Mexican food and bring it back to the wing and sell it for, like, packs of tuna and stuff like that. Well, of course, that's what you've got to do. You've got to hustle. Yeah, you've got, you've got to hustle. hustle in them places, you know? Yeah. That's what you, you do, what you do on the streets, but you just do it a different way in, yeah. a different way in the prison, you know? I'd make gloves and beanies, you know, your old sweatshirts you'd have were, like, ripped up and that. I'd get them off all the people. And I'd, I'd cut a hand out of him like that, sew them together, make a pair of gloves and that. Mm-hmm. Make a beanies, so you can put them all down. I had, I had a screw sweep by used to give him like loads of tips, you know? Yeah. And um, some of some are good and some are bad, you know? But he used to always look after her. Get a bit of snow in, you know? Oh, aye. It makes it, it, makes it easier. Do you have any other hustles that you've developed in prison? Uh, just survival, basically, you know? And that's what it's about, you know? Survival, keep yourself right. Keep my nose clean. Somebody fucks with them again. They're not doing it a second time, you know. Chain hard. Yeah. Chain hard, eat well. That's all you can really do, you know. So in America, as soon as you go in, they ask you for your paperwork and shit Don't like bend that. down for the soap. It's it's, it's all racial gangs in in Arizona. And they ask you for your paperwork when you walk in. So when he got sentenced, he'd had a long day. And they come and asked him for his paperwork. And he said, I just want to have a, a nap first. And he's like, no, you don't understand. You've got to show us your paperwork. So he just fucking knocks the guy out. <laughs> then he, has, he has a nap. And they come back and they're like, whoa, you know, we're fucking going to find out about you. And a couple of days later, the guy's knocked out. They offer him his job. So he ends up running the building. At first, I was a bit fucking scary because I thought I was going to get stabbed up, you know what I mean? But I didn't know what he was asking. I don't know what the fuck he wanted to know my paperwork for. Mm-hmm. I'd been on the coach all bastard day. I just wanted to get, get, have a sleep, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know? 40 winks later, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get me head on the bunk. So you're a big name, and what I saw was people with big names, people test them and try them in prison to try and make a name for themselves. Mm-hmm. Did anything like that happen during your incarceration? Not really, no. Not really, you know. They, they have incidents, you know. Yeah. But I'm not a one-man band. I've got friends, associates, as everybody else, you know. If you hurt one person, you've got a group of people who can put it back, you know. If, you have a group of, if you've got friends, that's what friends do. Look after each other. Yeah. Is there any of those incidents you can tell us the story of? 
Not unless I want to go to prison myself. <laughs> <laughs> Statute of limitations and all that yeah, shit. Yes, yes. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll stick it there. We'll just leave that one and that one. <laughs> <shall we? laughs> In Atkinson, it was easy to get back at someone because your fucking door was open all the time apart from count. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. I can say anyone could just have you any time. Up to there. like 10 o'clock or something like that. Well, yeah, it was just open. Yeah. I was in prison when I was done my 10 year sentence. I had um, a week left in my prison sentence, you know. We had two weeks left, and uh, a man rolled over my brother. My brother, I'd get out of prison, and um, was a man. The prosecution alleged that the man was something to do with my brother's wife, you know. Anyway, somebody shot the man in the head. Naturally, he died. <laughs> uh, and a friend of mine ended up on the gear, and the police were feeding him heroin to go and make allegations against me, you know. And whilst I was in prison, the allegations were that they say, um, I got arrested and I was on remand at the time for the amount of money my menaces blackmailed basically, you know. Going to hurry up, you've got to pull up, you know, you've got to pay or, or else. So I'm on remand, I got a 10 year sentence for that. And um, you will do. When I got arrested for certain murders, and it was this year's the man, the man was a bisexual and his boyfriend was a police sergeant. And somebody shot his leg off, you know, when I was on the mound. Bloody hell. And I was in the jail, but they blamed me for it, you know. And yeah. Been, and they have been the crowding prosecution service now. And it's easy for the police informers to say, it's one of the CSs, it's one of the CSs. I was in jail at the time, you know. Yeah. You kind of get a big bit of alibi, you know. But these are the sort of things. It's not what I've been arrested for. It's a caliber of the lower life who's had what arrested, what should be looked at, you know. And they said, I got asked one day what I've been arrested for, and I had to mention murder. And I felt, do you know what? I felt so ashamed by seeing it. I did it for some reason. I felt ashamed by saying it. And I thought, this is what these degenerates have done to me, you know? By saying they're bisexual, so they're stitching you up because it's a hate crime and you get more time, don't you? What's always on? When you say, like, the bisexual bit, like you said then, it's classed as a hate crime. Bisexual? Yeah. What's bisexual? You, the story you were just telling us about Oh, that one, I, I thought it was... No, I like But what's he coming from there? I was, I, I, that's, well, that's what they say, you know. Mm. I didn't know, I was on remand at the time. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know, I was in jail, I was in Durham jail. So, uh, after a short while, me, uh, me, me and my two brothers, John was doing 15 years for a security van, dep- security van and a uh, depot robbery. Me and Michael would got convicted, Michael got a 12-year trial for the blackmail. I received a 10 on a guilty. Between the three, we're doing 37-year imprisonment, you know. When the Irish went back, there was only so many double category years left. There was 10 in the country. Me and Michael were both category, double category year prisoners. John was triple category year. He was in, he was in White Moor unit. So I didn't even know they had double category A and triple category uh, A. There was only three triple category year. John was one of them with the 60,000. So for the Americans, let me, just, let me just go over this. So in America, you got minimum... Medium, max, super max. Mm. So in the UK, category A is equivalent to super max, is it? Ma- max, max, then super, super max, max with double category. Yeah. Well, as I say, you've got triple category, which is a, a unit, a, a prison within inside a prison, you know? So you're like elite super max. Like Belmarsh. Belmarsh. Well, I've just had my brother down there. My brother's been arrested for a crime in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Both of the two were got arrested. What basically happened, my, ch- my son and uh, my nephew and my other two sons went basically went to the nightclub and some doorman attacked them. My son's an ex-boxer, ex-Royal Marine. They did all the fucking, they did all the surname, like? Uh, the chef, you know, <laughs> found, found out of my son, you know. Yeah. He's a bodybuilder. He went to say not a straight on my boy, you know, my boy punched the fuck out of him. Yeah. Well, they had done that doorman for different parts of the country on and um, then went back to the kids and they, they attacked the Benz. Yeah, you know, they're only kids, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
that not only tracked them, but they had done this, uh, lifted the hands to a lot of different people, you know. One of the geezers on the door was New Zealand Special Forces, or something, you know, and it was the funny was so special. Anyway, he, he ran away after the one, one of them got shot. You know, I'm not surprised because of the activity, you know, which way they went on, you know, bashing people up regular. And they didn't like that. <laughs> and that stopped the bullying off them. My brother got nicked. I got nicked. My brother went on remand. They put him down Belmarsh and put him up in the old Bailey. And the evidence against him was circumstantial evidence. Mm. And they were wanting to give him a life sentence on circumstantial evidence. Fucking hell. That's what we're up against, you know. So when you were in the double cat and the triple cat, what, what is it like? How is it structured in that building? Well, I went, <clears throat> I started off, I spent 15 months in the segregation unit. Yeah. And one sitting. I listened to these young and these young drug dealers, not here, and they complain, man, they spend a few time in the jail. I had 15 months in the seg, being one shot, man. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, if that's the case, lads, it's kind of do the, kind of do the time, you shouldn't do the crime, you know. Do you think 15 months of life sentence? I've been in the seg, I'm 15 months in the seg, we need windows in the winter. I've got a tendency to put, turn the heating off in the winter. I've done more than 15 months on the fucking toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was it like then in, in the cat, double cat and the triple cat? Um, well, I got moved from, when I came out of the segregation unit, I went down to Whitemore. I was down Whitemore for a while. You can cook in them places, you know. Me and me two, me, me, Michael arrived and John arrived. <coughs> um, the three we went for a walk. And it was the first time in like 20 years, some of the three brothers, I went for a walk because one was in prison, they were a lot the other one. And it was a strange feeling, you know, my mum came on the visit of seeing the three and the first thing she done was burst out crying. Mm. It was the first time I seen a boys together, you know, for, mm. a lot, for a long time. Sad. No, you say you can cook. What are you using a microwave or like, did you get like a, like a Calagas ring or something? In prison, in prison you had, um, you did have microwaves in there. Uh... <coughs> Sorry about that. <coughs> <coughs> It was on a Chinese flu. <laughs> <laughs> you had you could cook on the on the, the on the wings, you know. You could cook in the like say they had a like say three kitchens or something like that, per, per wing. So if you could just buy your stuff and just kind of you got on the food boat, you know. So yeah. cool. I learned to cook in the place, you know. Was, I couldn't make cornflakes when I went in. But and you, it, in the end, I was cooking for like twenty or so people. But you keep your food in your own cell. You don't put it in a, like a fridge community. Ah, it's a communal fridge, you know, and everybody knows house who, you know, obviously you're going to get people stealing. There's a house, it's a big house full of thieves. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get people out stealing, you know, but they take get caught now and then, you know. They'll get smashed for that, though, won't they? Yeah, they'll get striped up, you know. People will do that, they don't like it, you know. Yeah. I'd hate that if someone took my Chinese. I bet you would. <laughs> 26 fucking stone. Leave my Chinese alone. <laughs> 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 so um, I did some time in Max and Supermax in Arizona and the guards have got all this shank proof body armor they look like Darth Vader masks and all that shit stab proof is that is that what it's like in a double A cat I suppose when I was in the in the unit I was next to a man called uh, Bob Mosley he's called like the British Hannibal Lecter I think he's a scout lad British Hannibal Lecter ah, he's what the one who he, he killed the man's do? head and, and he, that's the one that story when he killed three in the jail and he killed one in the nut house. I told him the jail and one in the nut house and he had the man's brains. Have you heard of this one? Bob Moore's, he's still in. Uh, no, I haven't heard of that. Not, not the one eating the brains. Well, no. I see yeah. brother. He was next door to me, me brother. Like, see, me, I was there. Um, he was in the middle of Michael's on the other side. I said, he was double cut to Gary as well. And I said to me, brother, Michael, I said, I don't know anybody on this planet who's got a worse life. And then he went, he's got a telly where you haven't one. I thought about it. I thought, you're fucking right. Yes, you're right. But life goes on, you know. Life goes on. <coughs> <coughs> Oops. 
So uh, I do I looking back at it, you know, it was a bit harsher sentence what they were. Yeah. It wasn't within the guidelines. You make your bed, you line it. Yeah. You kind of complain, you know. So did you go through a period of resenting that, but then accepting it? No, accepting nothing. Like, I just got to get on with it. Not yeah. saying, like, say, as I say, the guidelines for the crime would like, say, total four, yeah? Mm-hmm. I've received a ten. Yeah. We've got no, like, so released as a category of prisoner as well, no rehabilitation whatsoever, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you have decent barristers, like? Yeah, yeah. I, I originally had Michael Mansfield at the beginning, but uh, I lost him, you know? But um, trying to put a QC, it wasn't some Mickey Mouse thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, it's just with the, the family name, the guidelines go out the window, you know? Like, you know, some mm. people are saying, oh, I've got all these years and all that, and yet they have the public pretend, you know what I mean? A non paid attorney. And basically, you get what you pay for, don't you? Yeah, do, but yes, there's still guidelines. It's, you know, they've got guidelines. They're going to for shoplift. You get if they months. say no less than that and no more than that, they should stick with that. They couldn't yeah. go over it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they didn't they do it. They never do it with us, you know. That's just your name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's not because we're the worst, anyway. That's just because we won't. No, bo- no, no, no. We won't bother them from your police. We won't give them any money or any information. And they don't yeah. like it, you know. They've got, like, I would say, no, from your police is one of the most cool police forces in the, in the country, you know. Um, What's the biggest gang, isn't it? Well, of course, they've got a name for them. What were they calling PGs, police gangsters? Police yeah. gangsters. Ah, yeah, because what happened is they say, see the real house, a drug dealer's house. Yeah. Get 20 grand and a kilo of Charlie, kilo of cocaine, you know. The kid got the court, the thing is up the court for two grand. And films of the cooking. Who's going to complain? I should be doing the 12, not a 2. And that's how they get them, you know? It's, 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 I hear them on the street. I hear these conversations. So I know what they get up to, you know? You see them in the flash wine bars in Newcastle with wads of money on our drug dealers and criminals. And footballers have wads of money, but police officers with wads of money buying 50 pounds wrong. It doesn't happen. Yeah. It doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we've had quite a few cops on here, ex cops and stuff like that. And, um, the police have been policed, aren't they, though? There's always people watching them because they're fucking corrupt. Yeah, yeah. One one guy we had on here, Neil Woods, he was an undercover cop. He quit because he was assigned an undercover partner one day and he had a bad feeling about him. The drug gangs had paid that guy to go and get hired by the police. I know. Yeah, that's how fucking crazy it's got now mm-hmm. in the cops. Yeah, it's happened so happens, yeah. yeah, yeah. So what did you do with yourself then, just like day by day? What was your routine in prison? Well, I spent a lot, like say, I was double category here, so I wasn't allowed to work. I was mostly behind the door, you know, and if you worked, you had to work on the wing. Yeah. Eventually got a cleaning job on the wing after a while. Uh, so what is the cleaning job? What does that entail? Pushing it landed. <laughs> Not the showers or anything? No. People showering. There was different, but people had a job for that. They gave it, they gave it, they said, no, I can't hear, I had that job, you know, I'd probably clean the land, somebody had the one, I had the two, somebody had the one, somebody would clean the television yeah. room, somebody would clean the shower room, yeah. somebody would clean the kitchen, you know. It was just to try and get the lads who were, like, a category here, a job, basically. You'd right. people at the door saying, yeah, come here, come here, come here, you know, pass cakes and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it happens, but yeah. I'm a little bit above that person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let schools do that for them. Yeah. <laughs> when you wasn't working, how did you fill your time? Uh, well, so TVs came in, didn't they? TVs came in. Porn channel. Was, uh, we'll discuss that later, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately, I didn't get no later on them. But um, the TVs came in, and I would train all the time. I was training twice a day. Mm. So I was very fit, the best condition I've been in my life, you know. I've done a bit of mixed martial arts boxing and, and circuit training. So. Could you get weights in the high security, whatever you weapon? Yeah, actually, I got loaded to go to the gym, you know, at certain times. Actually, got more gym of being a high security prisoner. Yeah. So that's one thing you could get. You could get like gym, maybe 10, 12 times a week. So that was good enough for me, you know. 
Which exercises do you prefer to do? I was doing for explosive power, power clean, circuit train, boxing, mixed martial arts. Yeah. So you could do like sparring in there with people or? Not supposed to, you know, you can, you can have unlicensed sparring. If you follow with somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happened quite often. But different people, and I'm not noticing them myself. Yeah. Well, you use gloves, shower shoes. Yeah, you could get pads sent in, boxing gloves. All oh, right. So you had the pads and all that, you know, so. It's handy, I suppose, in them places, but the schools could see people were getting better and dangerous. Yeah. And see, in America, bit... they'd use, like, no, you shower shoes and drop shower ah, shoes around and put bandage around it. I went to Dunkerstown, they've actually, on the wing, they've got a punch bag on the wing. Every wing's got a punch bag, you know? Yeah. Be like, it would, but they're doing like it when the people like it over a long course of time, they come very dangerous. Yeah. And then that'll take the schools are fighting kids to get attacked. So, well, they're getting, they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I always laugh at them people that get that big, but they forget to do the fucking legs. They're, the fucking, they're like that chisel ah, chest, and they've got like little pigeon fucking legs, you know what I mean? I was in, um, I can remember one day I was in, I was in Franklin Prison, and I was with the doctors, and legs had been a category, category eight high risk. You had the permission to go through every fence. Yeah. So as we're going through the fence, the bell goes off, and the nonce part of the bottom, the bottom wings, you know? So we've got where for us, and we kind of move anywhere. And all of them were coming out of the gym, so it was with 50 of them coming out of the gym. And I'll be honest, I've never felt frightened in the jails, but it was the first time I felt concerned. And uh, I was at like, I would have been a, like a, a perfect scalp for that, all the sex case, because they get a lot of stick, you know, and, right, and rightly so. And rightly so. And when I was going to his high risk, they were showing some biggins as well. I don't think these are little, skimpy little old men, you know, six foot six laddies, that have a chest on them like that. And you can look, and people would have problems with them. And they were showing, get them for you, I will rape them, get them for you. And the school system, he says, whatever you do, don't attack them. I says, the first person I'll be attacking is you for the keys, man. What are you doing? Don't attack them. I felt very concerned. You know, they stand with dumbbells, get them yeah, we'll fucking rape them. That's <laughs> again. I don't mind that a bit of that, but that's a bit. Six bastards would do it as well, wouldn't they? Well, of course I would. Of course I would. Yeah. Yeah. That, that video that fucking revolted you that we watched what was it where the guy was um, he was collecting debts and he ended up getting raped or something oh yeah it's fucking hell the, the old money so he ended up getting someone to bomb him that's not fucking right is it no it's not well we'll move on <laughs> move on <laughs> were there any other times during your incarceration you felt concerned I mean that was a weird time that, that incident there that was one of the incidents that was stuck in my mind you know and I think yeah. it, can, it can happen in them places you hear about people getting and especially if you've got 60 odd of them and they're like bear in mind the jail's unlocked and I'm stuck in I'm stuck in there yeah. next to their little area that could get the vision, you know yeah I didn't make I was in the best condition of my life you know physically wise and like the train but I knew I knew then and I had no chance at all because I was just too many of them you know in America, you know, you have to go to a rape class to get taught or not to get raped. It's fucking, it's ridiculous. You watch a fucking, a video of some predators in the day room and the young people coming in are hungry and if they take any food or sweets from the predators, they're in debt. And it's like, all right, you owe us money now, pay this. Well, I've got no money. Well, we're going to fucking kill you unless you go and do the sex act with him, and that's how they, they manipulate people into, into that. They'll put a Twix or Mars bar on your fucking pillow. I never fucking helped. I must have been an ugly cunt. So that's how you put on the weight on, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get left a bar, one bar of fucking chocolate in six and a half years. The fuckers. That's buy mine and fucking run store. But the pretty boys would have a fucking Mars bar or a Twix left, and then once, you, once the death's it, that's it. That was their ass. Six and a half years, not one fucking 
Not even half a switch. I wouldn't complain too much about it. <laughs> no, come on. Unless that's me a Twix. <laughs> what about Hooch? Um, we used to go, like I say, I can remember when I was, it was my birthday and I was in Franklin Jail and I was in the old buildings at the bottom. And one of the kids made with some, made with some Hooch. And a few of the lads had spewed with it, which is only natural, you know. And the Hornish, what was on the floor, I'd been there for 30 years. And the next day, I'd stripped it down. Uh, and you think, well, that's doing that to the varnish and taking varnish off yeah, the ground, but you yeah. can't have a move a machine. What's it doing to your stomach? Yeah, but uh, I'd got times would get like, odd vodkas, you know, and I'd bottle of vodka and that, you know, different schools, you know. Because in Arizona, it's like almost 50 degrees, so the, the walls heat up. So if you put a bag next to the wall, it, it cooks the alcohol, doesn't it? Yeah, um, you just get a load of oranges, some water, some yeast from the kitchen. You put it in a bag and then you put it, like the ceiling, the like tiles like this. You just lift it up, get on your bunk, put it in there three days later, fucking done, bring it down, sinks the whole pod out, bottle it, leave it a couple of days in the bottle just to fucking fizz mm-hmm. up, you know what I mean? Burp it, if you forget to burp it, it just explodes and then you're in trouble because you've got the fucking people aren't getting visits and all that because you just fucking blew the pod, pod up with fucking hooch swelling everywhere. <laughs> You get good money for it. You used to get like fucking three tuners a bottle for that. I think a lot of it, you know, like it made a lot of people bad as well. Yeah, it blew the heat off, but God knows what I've done. If we can strip polish off the floor, you know, what I've been lying on my face. Nasty, nasty. What does it do to you? Yeah, a lot of people have the shits on it. You get blind on it. (laughs) (laughs) People get blind on it. I wouldn't be surprised. Especially if you would say to one. Fucking hell. I wouldn't be surprised. A lot of the youngsters were fighting on it as well, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Spice nowadays and MGS now. It's flooded, isn't it? Mm. See, I've seen the videos, you know. Uh, and it's sad to see some of the states and the They've got no respect, to... although I've with it. I've seen one where the guy gets slapped for a bag of spice. Sad. Sad. Ugh, you know. Sad, you know. If you were one of if you were a family member, you wouldn't like to see when you when you own a situation. Oh hell no. But I think a lot of them a lot of them will give them a joint, you know, and I think it's I think it's a bit harsh, you know, and it's mm. it's spicing before they knew it in a bad way. People just fucking with people out there as well, tell them it's like just weed and shit, just seeing wig out. Yeah, 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 sad. So, in your 10 stretch then, after the cat A stuff, double cat A stuff, what, where did they send you after all that? I got released from the high security prison as a category, I reduced it from double category to single category. Yeah. Made me, three, made me two brothers, the three were got released as uh, category A prisoners yeah. from a dispersal prison with no rehabilitation whatsoever, you know, just slung out on the street and that's it. No probation. Well, you get probation, but they're good to them, you know. Yeah, Tell you what you should be doing. I say, well, you don't, you don't live by the rules. What do you expect me to do, you know? Well, but why shouldn't I have? Other people, other people got to like, category D prisons and that. I was going to say, after 10 years, you think you just worked your way down slowly, no room in. Well, I started off as a cat bean, I come out as a cat here. Did you feel a bit institutionalised after doing that one? You could do like, it off that length of time, you know. I still seem like uh, I need time by myself sometimes, you know. I say to the wall, I need to be by myself sometimes, you know. Yeah. Just it's 15 months in, a, in one sitting by yourself is a long time, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I had a few years behind the door when I was, when I, like, say, when I was in, Frank, in Franklin because I never had a job. So, uh, but that's a life. If you, if you meet your bed, you and take the line at you, know, and you yeah. kind of sit there and complain, and look, I've been a criminal and mm. I've done this and I've done that and, and I've been treated harshly. It guns with a tout, I mean, there's no you can't do about it, not a thing, you know. I used to get into books, me. I used to get the biggest, thickest book, like James Clavell books, with like 1,300 pages, and just get into that. 
But you'd end up after a while being able to read one of them and fucking weak, you know what I mean? Now that'd last me a fucking year. I, uh, when I, I'll be honest, when I went to jail, I couldn't read, all right, you know, proper. So I started started doing a bit of reading, I learned, learned in jail. I read a book by uh, John Grisham, one of the jury, and I thought it was excellent, and I got half a year for it. And somebody else stole half the pages. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, fucked up. <laughs> so the next one, I checked it, like, checked mm. it, and it was still two or three pages missing. Oh. I didn't realise it to the end. So I'd give up on reading books after that, I thought, right. You used to get people to take the back pages, man. That's like taking a piece after the fucking jigsaw, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just a fuck with people. Mm-hmm. People had syringes in them and blades and everything, don't they? Yeah. You see guys working out with library, uh, with books from the library because you can't have weights. Aye. So they got like sweaters or they got mop buckets full of water. People can do improvise, you know, yeah. prison, you know, people do that. And it happens, you know. There's so much wasted talent in prison. Mm-hmm. They should they should use the time better, you know. I mean, they brought some industry in the prison, let the, fam- let the people work and send money out to the family and they wouldn't have to bounce off the door. Yeah. yeah let them do some use while they're there, you know, generate some money. Did you get paid to do your work? In prison, because I was only get ten to fifty cents an hour to do these little jobs. Yeah, you got like a tenner for cleaning, and you could like, get fifteen quid, and you enhanced. Yeah, and then he hustles you had cannon, you know, you get a bit off that, so you bought a bit of food, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, got your snout. Yeah. What extra food could you buy? Legs of lamb steak. Because <laughs> it was it was in the canteen. I say like long term prisoners, they like to buy these sort of things, you know. Yeah. So that's the sort of things you would buy. Um, what you couldn't have was what you couldn't have. You made things that things you wanted, you know. Yeah. And always, I was a good cook, you know. So I cook a good Indians. I might cook a bit of chicken masala, tandoori Ooh. chicken masala, a tandoori chicken leg, bit of chicken tikka, chicken kurma, <laughs> and then my dress on the side with pilo rice, a bit of salad, and a bit, and maybe some chapati. I'd always put it down in front of the school and go, "Come on, can you go? <laughs> can you go and get it up? Like, can you look at it? Like, I've got to go on the fucking beans and toast. It's a fucking pricey. That's why." <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you got most of the spices from the kitchen as well. Yeah, you could buy anything, anything oh, you wanted. You? Yeah, yeah, anything. There was a big list of spices you could order. You know, um, for you make like on a, on a Saturday, everybody lads would have a full English. You know, you know, that's something to look forward to. Nice, that like. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I thought I was good getting them fucking stosties every day for working in the kitchen. You know, were there any situations where you had to have a prison weapon? I then. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. You can have incidents like that, you know? Yeah. So obviously I had like one or two incidents, you know? It's always good to know where the shanks are buried. Well, I suppose you've, in, them, in them long-term prisons, you know, if you've got a Vic, you kind of can't turn up by yourself because the man, uh, he may have a couple of friends and they're going to be tooled up. Yeah. So before you know, you've got a confrontation. Because usually if someone has a beef where we were at, two guys, they just have a fight in the cell with the fists, beef is squashed. So you're having a hug at the end of it, having a smoke, and that's that. Mm-hmm. But you get the odd person, don't you, who wants to come back? There's the old person, it was what the beef was. It was just like a disrespect, like he's fucking looking at me and you've had a bad day, you it's know happens, what I mean? It happens, you know yourself. Yeah. yeah people people are sort of time in prison, and they get a lot on their mind, and somebody can look at them in their own way. They can have a bad phone call, <coughs> bad visit, yeah. bad letter. And then it know? could be a bit more, where, like, you know, for fact, someone's just come in and they've rasted on you and you've got paperwork on them. Mm-hmm. And you, you want to do a bit more, just smashing them down, you? No, oh, well, that happens, that does happen, you know, yeah. quite often, you know. And to be honest, rightly so. Rightly so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, rightly so, you know. As long as you show the paperwork. The one thing I didn't like is seeing a couple of people get smashed for no reason because they didn't have the paperwork on them. 
See, prison, you know, it's not a nice place, and it, like it or not, it is survival of the fittest. Yeah. You've got, to be, you've got to be able to take care of yourself. You should be able to have, like, four days to show your paperwork, though. Uh, it doesn't matter if you want, like, say, reputation or what, I suppose. If you, if you, if you, if unless got, they've if rested got on bad, you personally, unless yeah, they, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and if you've got, if your name's attached to something, what's bad, you put somebody in the jail. Yeah. Right, right, so you got served up, you know, and that's happened regular. Have you got any stories of things that you saw people get brutalised? I've uh, seen other things. Like I say, I was in the prison, I was in the cell, like I say, I was on the way to reception one morning, and when I get there, reception's full. And reception are always places where people meet for the legs like, off different wings, and there's confrontation, there's trouble. So a fight breaks out, and this geezer lifts us and turns his and puts his back towards the fight. It was Raoul Moore. Raoul was getting released out of, the, out of prison that morning. Um, very unhappy. Let's explain who he is to people. Raoul Moore was a lad who, um, for various reasons, I don't want to go into it because I spoke to him at length that morning. He was very unhappy by no from the police, you know. One, one certain police officer was giving me his life in misery. I think he was a victim, me myself, you know. You know, they portray him as a bad lad and all that. The man, the man persecuted him. He took his two, two vehicles off him. Mm. Um, he's seen his wife. Once somebody seen his wife had run away with a police officer and all that, you know. So the kid was unhappy. The kid was unhappy, you know. And that morning, when the f- all the schools were breaking the trouble up, <coughs> we went in the little holding room. I spent twenty minutes talking to him. He went from there that day. He shot the geezer dead outside the house. He shot the police officer. Um, and unfortunately, got shot dead himself. You know, got shot in the head with one of them rubber bullets. You know, because it was all over the news. I think that was when I got back to this country. What year was that? Do you remember? I missed that. I was still over there. Wasn't mm. I? About eight, eight, was it? Was seven or eight or something? Else? About ten years ago, almost. Yeah, was it? Yeah, it's okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got back at 09, me. Oh nine, that's mm. right. Yeah. What they don't mention is that, like, say, the misery. What the police officer give, 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 give role, you know. Yeah. And then, like, say, the, the media will have you believe that, like, say, this wild, crazy person. No, he was provoked. He was provoked, and you know, and I believe the kid was, a, the kid was a victim. Yeah. I was only like tell the other, there's other victims there. There's other victims involved, but he was also a victim, you know. The media always side with the police, don't they? No matter yes. what. Yes. Yeah, and fucking push it, push I mean, it. Sad, shit. you know what happened, man. As far as I'm concerned, that the kid may rest in peace, you know. Yeah. Did you mix with any or meet any high-profile people in prison or come across? Of course any? I did, because birds of a feather flock together, mixed with them all. <laughs> any big I was names? One, I was one. Any other big names? Yeah, plenty of big names, but I don't want to start nail dropping in. Yeah, one day I was came back from work and um, I saw the gym at the school. See, Stephen's a celebrity waiting outside your door to see you. Your brother. I <laughs> <laughs> was. Um, it was old Charlie Creer. Charlie Craig. Uh, he says, oh, Stevie right. says, I need to see. He says, your name's been repeatedly mentioned for me court case. And I say, he says, I've got to come to get a heads up on it, you know. <laughs> so he tells us, he says, what happened? He says, uh, he says, he makes me to see these two people in, a, in this flash wine boy. He says, I get there. He says, all scenes of getting a record contract. Space Girls have got number one. He says, the place was bouncing champion all over. They had no connection with Charlie. He says, but he was telling us what the, the party atmosphere was in the place. And he says, these two people come in to talk to him. He's taking retreat. He says, Charlie says, Steve, I'm going to serve them two kilos of cocaine. He says, so when they come in, I'm talking, he says, to my surprise, there were two Geordies. He says, the, conf- the conversation just turned a bit stale. He says, and I looked at him, he says, and I went, do you know the Sears brothers? He says, I never get the look on their face, they were very sheepish. He says, yes, yes, we know them. He says, can you ask me to get in touch with old Charlie? He says, that was the start of it. And a friend of mine who I used to look after, I was a... Uh, 
I was like his guardian angel in a sense, and I went to prison and he'd done his own thing there and I'm getting assassinated at a later time. And he was connected with me, you know, so that's how my name got repeatedly mentioned in his court case, you wow. know. Mm-hmm. What about Bronson? Any stories about him? I knew the man and I speak highly of the man, but I've never, I've never met the man. My good friend Steve Reeve knows him very well, you know. Yeah. He put a forward to me book and uh, I've got a lot of time for the man and I've got a lot of respect for him. That's brilliant, yeah. Just let's say the name of that book again for people watching this. The book's called Try and Test It by the Sears. You can get on www.thesears.co.uk. So if you want to check that out in his book, it's in the description box below this video. What about like high-profile serial killers, anything like that? Or any... oh, I'm in a lovely geezer, Harold Shipman. Shipman? <laughs> I met Harry, I. <laughs> Harry. I was in the doctors and um, I discovered I was asthmatic when I was in prison. The team is doing for different tests. And uh, I see him walking around the thing and different people are coming talking to us and, and they come to me and Mr. Sears, can I work with you? Is there any chance you could use your influence and try and get us on the wing? So I thought, oh, why not? Go do it, doctor. <laughs> so I see the governor says, is there any chance of having a shipment coming on the wing? <laughs> he thought it was a joke. I said, what's the matter? I said, if you put all the motors in one side, he's a cunning man, he's a nice person. <laughs> it won't happen, it won't happen, you know. <laughs> so what, when you finished this 10 stretch what did you do yourself then uh, came with various things you know uh, got myself a pub tried that for a short while he's trying to settle down you know well, what happened is I had a bar my name was Connection I was getting a wage out of a bar and a rival criminal a man called Paddy Conroy decided to go and get uh, a junkie to go and hide some smack and crack in my bar you know mm. And get it re- and get it raided, mm. and that's why it didn't. I thought, when it's come to stage eight, this and you've got like so so-called criminals planting drugs on you and getting you arrested. I thought it's time to get out of this before. Lucky enough, the kid who give the gear, he consumed yeah. it. Otherwise, I would have been nicked. Fucking I would have been nicked, you know. Yeah. Um, Paddy Conroy went through a stage for over twenty years, calling everybody and anybody a police informer, mm. surely to deflect attention away from his lower life activities. And it got so bad in Newcastle that when a police informer calls an innocent man a grass yeah. to deflect attention away from him, it's commonly known as doing a Paddy Conroy. I sure <laughs> he's doing a Conroy. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. You, have you seen he's got one? Yeah, he had all the time. He's a grass. He's a grass. Yeah, Jesus, the grass was calling people. Exactly, and they've they've yeah. actually put a term right now, and that's that's what it is. He's doing a Conroy when you have a grass and you call an innocent man a grass. Wow. He must have a bad name for doing that then. It stinks worse than a public toilet. His name. Is he dead now, Paddy? A shameful one, sorry to say this, no. Still walking around. The long tail's still crawling around. Scurrying around the place, you know. Wow. He'll get his. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you decided not to go into that business then? What did you do then? I came out of that business. I came out of that business. Uh, spent a couple of years wondering what I was actually going to do, you know. Didn't want to come back into the crime thing. And I was giving a lot of thought about writing a book. I taught me good parts of the Spoke to a different other people and Paul Ferris and all that, you know. Paul Ferris, Stephen, I'll give it a go. Give it a go, you know. So we end up writing a book. The book become a bestseller. Surprisingly, uh, I've never wrote, as I say, I've never, I've never, like I said, read a book. I've read part of a book, but I've never read a full book, you know. What I done was I got my daughter, Rebecca. I tell her the story, and she wrote it down for us, you know. And uh, that's how it came about. Since then, we've getting a double BAFTA winner, Gary Fraser from Scotland. He got a BAFTA for Train Spotting. He's came on board, and the film's the book's going to be turned into a film. And, uh, Congratulations! And we're doing, yeah, we're, doing the, um, we're doing the we're doing the trailer in March. It goes out for funding, and we hope to be we hope to be 
hitting the, like hitting the big screen sometime next year, you know. No, no. I try, but let's say anything else, you know, I believe, in a sense, I'm still getting money out of crime, of doing a film about crime. So what I want to do is, hopefully, if it's successful enough, I'm going to give some of the proceeds to the victims of crime, you know, some charity, and I think it's only right and fitting, you know, I do something like that. Yeah, it's good karma as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's right, I mean, I can't yeah. just sit there and get them, it's still getting the money out of crime, you know, and them days have passed for me, you know. I was innocent, by the way. <laughs> I've got a charity. Okay. So, I was going to say, my mum will tell you if she was here, God love her. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't melt me mouth. <laughs> Did your brother manage to turn himself around? Huh? <laughs> it's not for me to say what my brothers do, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm good about their own life, you know? They're yeah. trying to live a low-biding life, unfortunately, you know, for me, a police would not lower, as I said earlier, not because we're the worst, it's because we're not both them or giving them any money or information. And uh, as I say, I'll say it again, I've said it before, don't think the police are the most corrupt police, police force in the country. Definitely. Is there a lot of brothers from where you're from? Is there like lots of families with brothers? The day beat up North East, you know. Because it's <laughs> 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 like anywhere else, you know, you've got big families in different places, you know. Yeah. Uh, West End, I was Elzig. We're always stuck together when we were younger, you know, we're very clannish. I suppose, in a sense, that she has name was a figurehead to the, uh, the West End. That's why, unfortunately, today, when there's crime committed, our name gets attached to it. Mm. So, like I said, 99% of the crime has been committed, even though they say the CSC is not, not a thing in the world at the world, you know? Yeah. And plus, we're not criminals anymore, so the chances of it being anything at all, that's why it's not. There's up north, a lot of like, the big family names, brothers, they tend to be friends, they tend to stick together. Yeah, some do, some don't, you know? So, it just depends what sort of person you are, you know? Yeah. You know, we've, we, we, we've still got, like I said, plenty of friends, you know, plenty of big family, plenty of friends. Um, we're well got, well respected, you know, and rightly so. Was there a turning point then where you thought, that's it, I'm just absolutely never going to go back to crime? <coughs> it was my mum, God love her. May she mm. rest in peace. She was the one who takes his sister, and makes Steve know her. And people don't understand this, you know, it's actually harder to be a criminal than it is to be a businessman. Mm. And, you know, and you sit there, because what you've got to lose, you can always lose, if you lose a few quid, you can always get your, you can always get a few quid. You kind of get your liberty back, yeah. unless you're a skip. Mm. From that, you know, but, you know, that, a businessman, you know, if, if, you, if you keep making a success at crime, you'll definitely progress in the life of business. You're always watching your back, aren't you? And you keep up with it. Yeah. I've been asked a couple of times, Steve, you're going to be in the shop window with, with your um, film. Is there any idea what you would like to do afterwards? And I think they're opening a security consultancy, you know? Mm. Um, I suppose if you're sure as your premises, I can show you your weaknesses, you know? I can show you how you're being hard, you know? Yeah. Do you want to come? No, I love a vodka, mate. <laughs> 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 no, 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 no. Are you want to come? No. <laughs> yeah, um, talk about your mum then. My mum flew 5,000 miles to visit me. I had to get, you know, all these searches and sniffer dogs and wait for hours in the heat. When I first saw her in the visitation room, just sat there, you know, just, just all, sad, my face all sad and looking like I'd aged her. And I, I, you know, just, um, I speak to the school kids now and I tell them that and I say, look, I can still see the hurt and pain on my parents' faces that, yes, have, that yes. have caused them. At the time as you were doing the crime, when we were selling and collected and all that didn't have a care in the world did we the money was coming in nice birds nice cars and it's like everything's going good you feel almost untouchable you feel like no one's going to get you it's not until you get to a day you realise you're right from wrongs you know yeah like the moment no one I mean, uh, I'm trying to go into prisons to talk to some young ones you know I'm trying to do some good um, 
taught me a big part of Brian Cockerell. He's prepared to come with us in there. Paul Ferris, you know, brilliant. Said, going, in, going in, if I can get in the door, like talk to young offenders, maybe do, maybe do some good, you know, talk yeah. talk about the life of crime. Well, they definitely listen to you. You've been through it, haven't you? I don't know. You get these people go to prison and they do talks, but they've never been in crime. Where are you going to? If you, you would get a footballer to somebody who was about football to educate them, you get a singer, a musician to talk yeah. to young kids. Yeah. So why can't you get a criminal to talk to criminals? It makes sense, doesn't it? People say it's a moral, can it and put money in. But if it works, it's got to be. It's got to be done. Well, they let you in a prison, like on that side of things. I've dragged us in once or twice when I haven't wanted to go so when yeah. I want to go I'm having trouble going <laughs> It's a strange predicament, you know? You're going to do a talk and look at Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've dragged us in once or twice when they wouldn't let us out. <laughs> so have you been in any schools? Not as yet, because we're, like, so we're in the past, you know? So it's a slow process, unfortunately. Hmm. It's a slow process. I think people, when they go, oh, criminals, we don't want them in here. Well, have them stuck in them, but they'd rather have somebody come back from a background where they've got no experience whatsoever. Yeah. And I think these people are going to educate them, and they're yeah. not. They're not them doing about hardship, hunger, hardship. Was it easy for you to get into skills, Sean? Because our crown was in America, not here. Because um, I was telling my story, and the DBS check thing tells a bit of that. It's not a problem. Dude. It's like. Um, they're lucky for people with sex offences mainly to not yeah. to stop them getting in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, if you and and drugs education under the PSHE curriculum kind of created a job opportunity for me because I was a drug criminal. Yeah, there's so, sex offences, but they, I mean they're not, they're not really going to have highly violent people in there either, are they? Violent crimes might be a problem. Um, High profile criminals. They hear your name and they're going, oh, the alternative is and murders, you know. But mine's genuine. I want to actually do some good, you know. Yeah. And I believe I'll get to talk one kid out of life of crime. I've just succeeded. You've helped someone out, haven't you? Aye, aye. Do you have young people reaching out to you in your community? Yes, I do. Yeah, very regular. I'll always get somebody to come to I'll to someone's father. I'll come over and talk to his laddie, you know. And I'll kind of put the fear I've got them sometimes, you know. They think they're going to kind of sit there and go, oh, Steam's going to come cuddlers and all that. But I'll, no, no, I won't do that. I'll tell them exactly what you're going to, what you're going to face in prison, son. So young people watching this, then, what, what would you tell them? Well, you know, as I've lived this life. And I've gotten to the top of my profession. I didn't I didn't choke the to- how they're told because I got beat of a rule doom and nothing like that. I finished at the top of my profession. And I wish I'd devoted my life to a business, you know, because it's just been a waste of fucking life, to be honest. The time I've spent in prison, I would have had more children. I believe your wealth should be judged by the health of your children, not by what your financial bank account should be. You're still young, though. I'm 54, you know, but I believe I can do some good and I want to do some good, you know. And you're getting back to what I was saying. I've been there, seen that, done it. You know, I'm speaking from my experience. Do you have any regrets? I got caught a few times, you know. Who <laughs> wouldn't? <laughs> you know, I've got to, I'm honest with you, I'm honest yeah. with you, of course. Because it's not until you actually serve them long term sentences that you're realising, you, as I said before, when my son come in, says, I've got a dad. Yeah. These things hurt, you know, I'm only human like everybody else, you know. That would hurt, dad. It did, it, right it did. It did, you know. Um, and they don't say it to hurt you, either. they say it just. Just generally, it's a baby, you know, you're yeah. married, only four, so about five at a time. So. Came and I was talking to my mum one day, and she says, "Me, Steve, look at please how I consider." I says, "Ma, for you, I want to turn my life around." Unfortunately, by the time I started trying to like to put the book in progress, my mum took took early enough. She had a stroke, um, and she didn't get to see that light of that path I've led. You know, so I'm doing it for her. You know, I want to do yeah, for her, not just for myself, but let me mark me. It, it gives us a, the push to go forward. Yeah. You know. 
and that's what made her. Your mum was a highly intelligent person. You know? She was a civil servant. Attraction as she's seen me dad I don't know. <laughs> Were you, you know, boxing the right way forward, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to glamorise crime like I mean film, I'm I'm only sure what effect crime has on you, you know. You, you know, like say, yes, it's good times, it's bad times. But you know, you, you've got the effect it has on the kids or not. Yeah. You know, it, it changes them, it changes them, you know, and I wish I had been there all them years. Unfortunately I wasn't, but I see the ever me wears now and I wish to go forward. Yeah. And do some good. Back in the day when you went over to Spain, was it like sort of you watched the movie The Business? Just like that. Was it just like that? Just yeah, like, it was for me. It That'd was for me. Fucking brilliant, that like. Uh, uh, Half our friends, um, we, we party with a dead now. Every year we get another word, another one has died. Have you lost a lot of people on the way? Of course I have. Yeah, yeah, I've uh, been shot dead, not you know. Yeah. Friends, family. It's bad when you go more funerals than Christmas, isn't it? Sad, isn't it? It is, isn't Sad, it, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, look at a lot of misery and that, you know. And I look at Lexi, and I think Lexi, when the persecution will ever stop us knowing from a place, my dad, my dad got uh, a man came forward and he says to me, Dad, he says, listen, he says, I've got paperwork there. He says, I've hacked into the national computer. He says, and I've got evidence there that your son, John, was fitted up. My brother, John, was done 15 years at a time for, he got found not guilty for his depot, security found depot, uh, security depot, sorry, robbed that, he got not guilty, and he got guilty of robbing a security van, a grand or something, and he received a 15-year sentence. The man says he had evidence to prove this. So he got somebody, he feed me, he feed me dad, drip feeding him, he made him meet the same. My dad was looking at the paperwork, he put a gun to my dad's head there. Dad jumped to one side, he shot him in the jaw, came, the bullet came from the other side there. Um, I got a, I got I got word came from as you know, and I, I rushed to the hospital. When I rushed to the hospital, his cars outside the window where the bullets went through. That's there. Uh, yeah, all the glasses all over, there's blood all over the car. So I rushes in. He's on his face is swelling up with a bullet, bullet wound. And um, the man is on the telephone, and he's pleading. He's saying, Stephen, he says, look at the special branch, man, let's do it. You know, and you know, bear in mind the man's not going to stop. He's just trying to kill me for that now. He's going to try. He knows I'm a danger. And he's going to yeah. come try and kill me. Jesus. So I didn't want to rave him. You know, to be honest, what I said to him was I tried to sweet talk him. You know, so I says, "Listen, I'll do anything to let me dad live, please." You know, and he stood for me. He says, "I'll see you in the park in 15 minutes." And I thought, well, he must have thought, well, that one gets much time. But I was Elzik, you know, West End. A lot of active criminals, a lot of active armed robbers, and a lot of people doomed up. So I'm well got an area, and you know, my life's in danger. I explained it to certain, certain people that come to help us straight away. And they says, Look, if he's there, uh, just make your way to the bushes, around the lake. And I walked around the lake, he says, He's going to approach you. So this man come up to us. He's not, it's not his feeling when you walk in the room, you're going to be shot. You know, but the man is going to, you know, he's going to kill me, or he's, he's trying to kill me, dad. He's going to try and kill the rest of us. So this man approached us, come walking to us. And I could see, I was right next to the bush, it was pitch black. I could, hear the, I could hear the guns cocking. And um, all the asked was, was a light? It was just somebody in the park and asked for a light. And I thought, fuck oh. that. That was close. He went from there, the man handy sat in the police station. You could have gone for that person though, couldn't you? No, no. The man handy sat in the police station that night, you know. I got nicked and remanded at a later time and they put me in the cell below him. So he thought it was great all day, having gone on how much pleasure I got shooting me father. And the school just come round the door. You still not had enough of him. How about anyway, come? <laughs> on the geezer's door. The geezer was crying. Stop for saying, please, I should never. I'll just I'll tease you as off. Come here, bully fucking now. You know something? You know all the nastiness and coming out. Yeah. You know? um, obviously, I wanted to hurt him, and I would have done if I get of my hands you off. Um, lo and behold, he get. He went to court. He had been a police informer. 
and they says, yeah, being too helpful to know from your police, I didn't know what to do, so they gave him four years for assassination attempt on my dad, you know. Oh, um, yes. My pal, my pal put a hundred stitches in his face, and they give him four years for doing that. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, should have been his juggler, Vian. Oh. So that's what, that's what it is, you know, like say, if you're an informer, you're kind of going to be in there, can try that sort of thing. Yeah. If people got a problem with you, though, they should take it out on you, not your family. That's fucked up, isn't it? Of course, of course. I mean, I don't let them rule that, innit, really? If you've got a problem with someone, you don't go to the mum and dad's house and take it out on them. It's law, isn't it? Well, people are what they are, you know, and it's, it's like in life, if you know, if you have one man band, you've got to accept it. If you were a group of people yeah, who will help you and support you, it's different, yeah. you know, and I think it's a bit of a camp offence, I can't, you know. I still like, see, even though I'm not an active criminal anymore, I still get a lot of hassle off the know from the police regular. I was lying in bed watching a bit of TV, and he has a noise outside. And what their new, new gimmick is in Newcastle now, it'll be all over the country. The top of places, street lamps, they put little domes in them and they put the hidden cameras in them, you know. So what gets up, takes one down, there was a four-way camera. I mean, the lamppost is only six inches from my door, mm. from my back yet. So I've got one at the back, one at the front, and every junction, every road leading off my estate, it's got a curve of police camera on it and the, and, the, and the top of the lamppost. So this is, this is what you've got to pull me, you know, but I'm not doing anything. I had, I've just, I've, I've received an Osmond one every six months or so. It's a very new privacy, that. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, as I say, like, so I've received an Osmond, I've received Osmond ones quite often, you know. Um, I think maybe if anything, <laughs> we prevent them coming. <laughs> Jesus, how do they come? But they can't let them in. Well, not let them out. <laughs> if you stay out of trouble though the cameras are I mean, even better because there's evidence that you're not doing fuck all aren't they? they're not bothered you know they're not bothered up there well, we, you know, they're just yeah. as I say I've been, I've been arrested for a variety of serious crimes but it's not the crimes itself it's a calibre of the people what's had were arrested one man got me my brother John arrested for my brother was nicked for murder and um this year, the, on the last year of the trail, somebody contacted one of the jury members. And the only people who had access to them was the North American police, you know. Mm. So uh, they, got, they got this junkie to come forward and see us um, that he made the phone call for. Which, if I was going to get a junkie, somebody to some, I wouldn't be getting a junkie involved in anything, you no. know. So uh, I get Nick to put on remand. I've got a trail with no jury. For it was only the second time in the country, you got a trail with no jury, you know. So my barrister, my QC, came to see and she went, Stephen, I actually know this judge personally. He's already found you guilty. He's going to get a life sentence and he'll die in a special unit. It's about one of the SSUs, unless you get the court case turned over. So they get a trial with a jury. The trial started. Now we've got a massive compensation claim going in for, them, for what they've done to her there. But bear in mind, the prosecutor stood in court and he says, I should be asking for a life sentence for the CS brothers and life should mean life. This man knew we were innocent people. Now, I can't go and discuss too much of this now because it is a legal situation happening now with a compensation claim. But I'll get back to that the next episode when I speak. Yeah, cool. That's terrible, that little stitching you up like that. Everyone's entitled to a fucking jury for God's the sake. The caliber of the witness. The man was a junkie who had married a Thai prostitute. Why the hell sitting would you in one get room, himself, you know? <laughs> wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have the time of day? So he, was, he married a Thai prostitute. He was in one room where his missus was knocking the knocking, knocking services out for two and a half quid and five pound a pop, you know? You know? And this is the caliber of the people, you know? Fucking low life to get up in court and then they... It's against you. They're gonna fucking t- accept this person's word, you know. Well, a junkie who's living off in moral learners, he's not exactly. Surprised even let him on the jury. Honest, what? Surprised even let him on the jury. 
he wasn't on the jury. He was he was a, a he was a witness. Ah, right. He was a witness, you know. Yeah. He witnessed nothing. What this is is, he's adamant that we've used two telephone boxes, and they knew that they knew they knew we hadn't they hadn't been used to. They knew he was telling lies. The only witness against him was no other evidence. It's just a junkie, and he says so. So all he was he was at his telephone. All he was after was money, money, money off of of, of his handler. Yeah, a lot of them have got their own crimes, and then their cases go away, don't they? Some do. Some do. Yeah, yeah. So what what is your life like now then? Um, a lot more busy, I sense, with the films. Firstly, you know, like I said, we're going to hopefully it's coming together slowly but surely. Uh, it's hard work. It's hard work getting it done. It's it's excitable, you know. It's enjoyable. And we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward, yeah. you know. And, and um, we're going to give, like, a lot of, like, say, people in, in Newcastle and the Northeast who's actors but never had an opportunity. So we're going to give them a little bit of an opportunity. It may be a stepping stone. It may change the course of somebody's life for the better. And hopefully it will do, you know. Yeah. So one or two ex criminals, I've taught myself, well, come and give it a go. Come and give it a go. And if it's any good, you'll have a part in the film. <laughs> These are active criminals. And I've spoken to the families and they went, Stephen, if you can do that, I don't want to mention the kids, if you can do this while we're such and such, we would be over the moon. And the kid is over the, he's, he's, he's excited. you got to get a Jimmy Nail. Yeah, it's better on him, man. Are there any of your craziest stories that we've missed out? When I finish this, there'll be about 100 I can think of, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, it's been enjoyable doing your lot. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate really what you're doing. Really good having you. Huge pleasure having you on as well. I'll be back again, lad. I'll be yeah, back yeah. again. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, yeah. Especially when the second book comes out. What? Tell everybody what the second book's going to be called. It's going to be called Operation Sears. Um, it's basically about a man who, a heroin addict, who decides to get, no fear police were feeding him heroin, and he was accusing him of different murders, you know, and like, there's a variety of unsolved murders there. Um, that's the one who accused me of having the police officer shot, you know. Um, foam, foam, and some murders, and, and people getting knee cut, you know, legs shut off, not, you know. It's just, I read it, you know, and it was about me, not to be honest, I felt a bit frightened. That's how, that's how outrageous <laughs> it is, you know. It was so bad, I said, this, this is going to be turned into a book. <laughs> so that's what I went with that one, you know. And if people want to contact you, what's the preferred way of them contacting you? From you said, that's not. brief. And you'll get new comments. Yeah. <laughs> do, you have, do you have social media stuff? Yeah, I'm on social media. You can catch us on the. Yeah. Um, we've got a page on Facebook, the CS page, you know, and the CS film. So we'll put your Facebook page in the description box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, yeah, and all the links to the books. If people want to send you a message, can they send you a message on the Facebook page? Of course they can. Yeah, we'll give yeah. all them details, you know, and they say, contact yeah. me or Steve Riff, you know. And his yeah. mobile number is. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've enjoyed this, please put your questions and comments below. Huge thank you to all the new subscribers. If you've not subscribed, it's free. Subscription logo is in the bottom right-hand corner. Huge thank you to all the people who've donated on PayPal, Patreon, Just Giving, Subscribe, Star. To keep the production of the podcast in the studio level of sound engineers, cameramen, and, and to, to bring down brilliant guests like Stephen today. So we, we thank you for all your support as well. So cheers from Liverpool. Let me give you a hug, man. And thanks for buying my T-shirts too. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, big fella. Come here,